wrap our mind around these. If nothing else, if you're not a resolution keeper, then if you do these five, then you're doing really, 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 really good, okay? So number one is uh, text and text messages are for information and not for emotion. Can we just all uh, kind of just agree to say that, there, that we're not going to use text messages for anything other than information, right? Because when you're dealing with your kids or you're dealing with your spouse or you're dealing with a coworker or you're dealing with a boss and you're texting it, uh, it can be read a thousand different direct directions, right? Because you could text your wife, wow, you look hot today. And she could read it, wow, you look hot today. And that's totally not what you meant, right? Or maybe it was. And then you were just trying to get, and maybe she read it as you, you know, you just information, not emotion. Those, that would change your whole life. That will change your whole family dynamic if you let it. Number two, okay, here we go. What's number two? Number two is read. If you just, just read something. I, I, I challenge you because we we're raising a generation of kids that don't know how to read. Well, they know how to read, but they choose not to read, right? Uh, read something. They don't want to talk on the phone. They want to text. Make them, make them talk, but also make them read, right? Uh, if you don't know where to start reading your Bible, uh, then read John. I've told everybody that since the time I got here. If you don't know where to start, read the book of John. John's an easy read, but it's deep and it's good. And it's got all the stuff that you need to hear out of it, okay? Um, if you have been reading for a long time, if that's just part of who you are, then great. Keep it up. My wife is like a speed reader. She's already read like four books this year. This year, she's read four. I'm like on the second chapter of my first book because I'm a slow reader, but I'm, I'm trying to make myself be a reader. Read. Uh, read books. Read, uh, read your Bible. Read something because it's just good for you. Number three, um, make a budget. Well, stick to a budget, right? That's better. Because we can make them all day long. Oh, yeah, we're not going to spend this much money. And then, oh, no, Sam's came along, and look what we bought. 400 rolls of toilet paper for 35 cents. You know, it's just this weird stuff. Stick to a budget. When you do that, listen, if, you are, uh, if you're not uh, in the habit or in the, in the really obedience of tithing, Include tithing in your budget. I think that's important. I think it's right. I think it's God-honoring. Uh, it's biblical. And so make and stick to a budget. Number four, uh, keep a prayer journal. Uh, we talked about this during our prayer series a few uh, months ago. I think some of you, I know some of you are doing that because you've told me. And I think that's great. I think it's really healthy for us to do that. I do this every year. Uh, keep a prayer journal. It's really, uh, really beneficial to be able to go back and see all the things that God has accomplished. And you can flip back. Even those of you who have been doing this for months can even go back those few months and say, wow, look what God's already done in these situations. And then lastly, number five, do something spiritually that's out of your comfort zone. If you're wanting New Year's resolutions, I believe these five can radically change the way your family and you as an individual operate. Do something spiritually that's out of your comfort zone. Serve, volunteer, teach, uh, uh, work with kids or with students, or uh, maybe it's just go on a, uh, a mission trip or go... Uh, Go to your office on Monday and, and start some sort of spiritual conversation or share Jesus with somebody that you... It's something that's out of your comfort zone. Do something this year because why would we waste a whole year and not do something that challenges us spiritually? Something that really kind of... And if you are in the habit of all those things, then, then find something else that's spiritual that's going to challenge you, that, that makes us kind of see the world at a different level and a different field instead of just our everyday, average, normal life because we can get stuck in those ruts. Now you're saying, Matt, why are we talking about all this? Because I believe 
this kind of thought and this kind of idea of let's, let's do things better, let's do things different, let's do things uh, maybe on a different level leads right into our series of greater vision. Uh, our theme for 2020, y'all remember our theme last year? was intentional, right? Everything that we had had that 515 logo on it, uh, and, and everything that we did for the church really bred through that idea of intentionality uh, from our uh, small groups to our Sunday nights to our Sunday mornings and the things that we planned and prepared for that. Everything bred through being very, very intentional with what we did. We didn't do something just to do it. We always had a bigger picture in mind. That was all brought out of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, which is be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, right? And so we, we kind of drove that home, and everything that I talked about last year was all around this idea of intentional. And this year, uh, our phrase is greater vision. And I, as I have been praying through this for the past really six, four, six months, something like that, I've been praying through what God was leading us to for 2020, and it's real easy in 2020 to have a, a vision theme because everybody wants to see things in 2020, right? Those of you who have eyes like mine, that's never going to happen, right? Uh, I can't see anything without my glasses on. But when, when we think about the year 2020, just to, just to stick in a vision theme, it's real simple. It's probably, there's probably a thousand churches in the state of Arkansas that are going to have some sort of vision theme for this year. But I didn't want just a normal vision Theme. I didn't want us just to, to kind of understand things on an on a idea or plan things in our calendar just, just to kind of repeat the things of last year. I, I don't want to just say, well, we've done this before and it worked, so let's do it again. Or we did it two years ago, so let's just keep doing it. Because that's, I believe that's like duplicate vision. That's just recreating what God has already done. Now, there are some things that we obviously want to recreate. If, if you haven't yet Look in your bulletin and see what God did with our finances in 2019. Our budget of $482,000 was exceeded by $68,000. God blessed Emmanuel with $550,000 this year. And that church does not happen. Okay? And if you have nothing else to be excited about this morning, you should open that, you should circle it, you should frame it on your wall, and you should be excited about what God's doing in, in and through you guys. And that doesn't include, listen, that doesn't include our Lottie Moon offering. Remember our goal for Lottie Moon was $8,000? We gave $7,049. Uh, we are 50 bucks shy from our $8,000 goal. That doesn't include uh, Dixie Jackson and Annie Armstrong. That doesn't include uh, the... That, that If you add up all those, that's probably close to about $20,000 on top of the $550,000 that you gave. And that doesn't include, I got a text message from my friend Shelton Mormon this weekend. And he said, you want to hear something crazy? And I said, yeah. And he said, the individual gifts given to Lauren and I in 2019 was $7,600. He said, of that, $6,900 came directly from Emmanuel Baptist Church. He said, will you please tell everybody thank you for me? And I was like, yes, that's incredible. So if you take the 20 on top of the 550 and then you add another seven, we're sitting at almost, almost, almost $95,000 over budget. That's incredible, church. Do I want to repeat that? Uh, yeah, let's do that again, please. Can we do that all over again? The baptisms that we've had, the people who have joined our church, the ministries that we've launched and created, and, and God has done incredible things, but do we want to do that again? Absolutely. But 
I want him to do something brand new. I don't want him just to do the same thing over and over again because God is a creative God. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you realize just how creative God is and why in the world would we ever ask a God with that kind of imagination to do the same thing he's done before? Let's do something brand new, God. Let's have a greater vision for this year than we've ever had for years beyond. Let's do greater things than we've ever been able to do. Let's influence this community and this state and this nation for the gospel in a greater way than we've ever done before. That's been my prayer for the past four or five months as God's begun to flesh this out and how are we going to look into 2020 and how are we going to move into this new avenue and what's this going to look like and how's the church going to be kind of reflective of what God is trying to do. We have to have a greater vision for all of that. Now, what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to begin to kind of lay the foundation of what that means and how that really looks like and what that really does. And so uh, everything that you're going to see through 2020, I'm just going to give you a preview, is that we're going to talk about greater something. We're going to talk about greater this or greater that. And so when we talk about things like marriages, we're going to talk about greater marriage. We talk about finances, we're going to talk about greater finances. We're going to talk about things like uh, uh, relationships and, and, and the inner works of our family. We're going to talk about being greater in all of those things. And so our hope push and our whole focus for this year is to see things in a way that God sees them, to see people in the way that God sees them, to see the church in the same way that God sees the church. That when we think about all the things that we do, we see it through the vision of what God has for us and we ask for even greater things than this. So this week, we're going to start with where this all starts. Where does all this idea of greater vision begin? And it all starts in John chapter 14. So if you've got your Bible, let's go there. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses. I think we're going to get through uh, about nine, maybe ten verses this morning. And then we're going to stop. And then we're going to pick up this sermon next week, okay? Because it's too long to preach all in one. Uh, and so I, I've broken it kind of in the middle. And, and so we're going to kind of get this idea of where it all begins uh, and, and how can we begin to have this greater vision and what does that really look like and all that kind of stuff are going to begin to be fleshed out as we work our way through this. So John chapter 14, verse 1 is on the screen. It says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This is obviously Jesus talking here. He's talking to his disciples and he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. How do we begin to tackle this idea of greater vision? How do we see people as God sees them? How do we love people the way God loves them? How do we serve and give and humble ourselves? Well, how do we get out of our comfort zone and, and, and really stretch ourselves greater than we ever could imagine? Number one, we have to trust him. It's very simple. It's not as hard as we try to make it because, listen, this is not our thing. This is not our church. It's his. It's not our families. It's God's family. It's not our life. It's his life to be lived out through our life. This, this goes into every act, not our money, not our kids, not our marriages, not our jobs, not our retirement. When we begin to put faith in ourselves or in someone else, then we're going to ultimately be let down every time because we fail, and other people fail, because here's the sad reality, and this is really going to change some people. Your spouse is not perfect. Some of you are going, no joke, right? 
Your spouse is not perfect. Your kids, hello, your kids will mess up. Your boss will make a mistake. Because people aren't perfect. And let me tell you this, because this is going to be hard to hear for some of you. You're not perfect either. Let's do this. Look at the person next to you and go, you're not perfect. Do it. Oh, you laugh about it. Do it. You're not perfect. Now, here's, here's the part. Now, look right back at them and go, it's okay because I'm not perfect either. Did you hear? Did you hear that? I heard it because I can hear y'all. The first time y'all were like, you're not perfect. The second time you're like, it's okay because I'm not perfect either. Nobody wants to say that part. You're all, we're all, man, we are really good at telling people they're not perfect, but nobody wants to say, yeah, I'm not perfect either, right? Because the reality, I just saved somebody's marriage this morning. I feel like this just happened. Everybody's good now. We're not perfect. We're going to fail every time. If you look to your spouse or to your family or to your best friend or to your pastor to somehow fulfill you or to, to, to make things right or... Uh, or let's go all the way back to 1996, you complete me type moments in your life, right? Then, then every time you're going to be disappointed because people aren't perfect. What did Jesus just say? Trust in God and trust also in me. He didn't say put all your eggs in your boss's basket. Put all your eggs in your career basket. Put all your eggs in your husband's or your wife's or in your parents' basket because people fail and people will fail you. Listen, this is always, this is the very beginning of, of all of this vision stuff. If you want to know how to have this greater vision for this year, the very first thing you have to do is trust Him because it's all His anyway. It's all coming from Him anyway. We, yeah, we don't have to. I don't have to Come up with this. I just trust him. Your, your staff doesn't have to manifest some fancy elaborate plan. We just have to trust him. Your small group teacher and your Sunday school teachers don't have to reinvent the wheel. They just have to trust him. And, and God is going to prove himself so faithful to us. Listen, this is all his anyway. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 has taught us this from a long time ago, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Like, we know this verse. We've memorized this verse. You may even memorize it in the King James Version, which means you are even more spiritual because you've got it in that one, because you can know all those old English words. Listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Why does he say heart? Why would we not trust in God with all of our mind? Because in Jeremiah... I think it's Jeremiah 19 that says, The heart is deceitful among, above all things. And here, Solomon writes us in Proverbs that he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, that thing that can deceive you above anything else. Give that to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he says, lean not on your, there's your mind part. You're not on your own understanding. Because we like to try to think, well, if I don't see the end of this vision, I can't participate in the beginning of this. If I can't see where God's going to stretch me and where it's going to end up, then I don't want to start that process ever because I don't understand the process. God says, listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not. on. You don't have to understand. 
You don't have to see the bigger picture. He does. We trust him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. This is this idea of just saying, okay, God, all of my life, all of my family, all of my finances, all of my marriage, all of my everything is yours. I'm acknowledging you, and he will make your path straight. You may not know the end of the path, but you'll know the next step to take. How do we see and have and share this greater vision? Number one, we trust in God and trust also in him. Now, what's so great is that we know all this, right? I just said, I don't have to reinvent the wheel here because this is stuff that we've been ingrained with for years. And if you've been in church, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this and you know this, that you're just supposed to trust God, you're supposed to trust him. But the problem is that we don't do it. We don't do it because we, we skip over the first part of John 14, 1. How did it start off? Do you remember? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. This word troubled here literally means to be fooled by someone trying to interject doubt. And so that verse kind of reads, don't let your hearts be fooled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I believe that this issue of doubt affects the majority of Christians, believers, more than almost anything else, this idea of doubt. It could be your salvation. Did God really save me? Did I really mean it? Could God really save me? Some of you have been wrestling with those things for years. Some of you wrestled with them and are on the backside of it now. And, and, and maybe you're secure in the knowledge of what you know. because uh, and, and I believe it's in John. It says we write these things so that you can know. Right? Some of you are struggling not just with your salvation and the doubting of that, but you doubt yourself. My past is too bad. I can't really be used. God, God could never really overcome the stuff that I'm dealing with. I couldn't do that because I don't know enough or I'm not good enough or I can't serve like that. or I, I can't because I have doubts about what God is calling me to. Not, not that I doubt that God can do it, but I just doubt that I can do it. Listen, this is exactly the kind of trap and the cycle that the enemy wants to get us in. Over and over and over again, if people are derailed or putting the brakes on or saying, I can't do this because, and there's always this hint of doubt, whether it's doubt of God or doubt of ourself, he's got you right where he wants you. And he says from the very beginning, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fooled by doubt. Listen, when it comes to what's next in 2020 for our lives and individually for our church, there's no room for doubt, right? There's no room for worry. There's, God is trying to consistently remind us that he's got this. We are to trust him. Listen, don't let your heart be fooled. Don't be, don't be filled with doubt. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus is trying to remind us over and over and over again, this is, not, uh, this is not anything that we have to worry about because he's got this. Yes, we have to plan, and yes, we have to pray, and yes, we have to prepare, and yes, we have to do all the things that are on our part, that are our responsibility, the, the process of obedience and surrender and 
and all that kind of stuff. But none of that should be defined by doubt or worry or fear. It should be defined by expectation and awe and excitement. When we, when we look and we push into 2020, these are the, the prevailing emotions that, that Jesus here is trying to say. Listen, don't be fooled. Don't be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in me. Now, what's so incredible about this passage of Scripture is we have, we're still in verse 1. What's so incredible about this passage of Scripture is what's it, why Jesus is even saying it to begin with. Okay? And so let's just remember, okay? let's all take a, take a, a second and, and remember that Scripture is inspired. right? I, I believe, we believe as a church, we believe uh, that every word of Scripture is inspired. It's divinely inspired it's by God. It's God's words written down by man uh, for us. right? And we believe that. The words are inspired. The chapters and verses are not. The numbers are not. Okay? The, the verse, verse numbers and chapter numbers were not interjected into the Bible to the 1500s. Okay? 1500s. So, so these things are just, this is how it was easier to kind of structure the Bible. The letter, the words, the, the actual physical document is inspired, but the verse numbers and the chapter divisions are not. And here's one of the reasons why we can say that, because this chapter division is so unfortunate. If you're, I have a, I have a, uh, I believe it's the all the New Testament in my office, and it's it's each book, it's just books. It's no chapters, no verses. If you pick up Ephesians, you're reading like a letter of Ephesians. I, if, if you're reading it and you have no idea where you are, even better because that's how Paul wrote it, right? And so here, where John is writing all this stuff down, later we get these chapter visions in, and this break between chapter 13 and 14 is so unfortunate because it's all tied together. And when we just read chapter 14, we think it's independent thought, but it's not. So let's set back a couple of verses into chapter 13. In chapter 13, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to die. And that, that all this stuff is about to kind of go down. And, 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 and then he gives them this, and this new commandment, I give to you, love one another, right? This is brand new. This is, this is blowing the disciples' mind because they've never even thought about loving people who are unlovable. And then Peter asks this incredible question, why can't I go with you? I, I would die for you. And in verse 38, Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Now this just made a very extroverted Peter be very introspective. How in the world could he say that? I'm, I'm, the, I'm the speak first, think later guy. I'm the guy who will do whatever I need to do for this. I, I'm the guy who jumps out of boats and who walks on water and who does all this crazy stuff. I'll die for you, Jesus. Jesus says, will you really? Because before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you even know me. Three different times. And then his very next word is don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. He's basically looking at Peter and he's saying, listen, I know what you're about to do. I know how you're going to mess up. I know that when it's all over, you're going to doubt if you can even be used. You're going to doubt if I could ever even forgive you. You're going to doubt if you can ever really overcome the past of the moment that's about to happen in your life. But Peter, just trust me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Just trust me. Don't be deceived and don't be fooled. Just trust me. 
Church, this is where it all starts, where your faith gets real. You can't have greater vision for what God's going to do to you when you're so focused on what happened in the past. Jesus tells Peter, are you really going to? Because this is what's about to happen. But listen, don't be fooled. Don't, don't be troubled. Just trust me. Church, can we just, can we just say that like the, the verse that we all know, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can we just let that sink in for a moment? To say that, that we don't have to be perfect to have greater vision. That we don't have to be perfect to want better for our families. That we don't have to be perfect. That we have all this baggage and we have all this past and we have all this stuff that we've had to work through. And God can still look at all that and say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Just trust me. Because guess what? When you were a sinner, I still died for you. That Romans 5, 8 should should just echo and, and resound in our minds saying that there's something bigger here that even while we were sinners he still loved us enough to die for us and if he loved us enough to die for us when we were a sinner and I'm, I'm still a sinner and I'm not perfect but man I'm trying to be perfect and if I'm trying to be perfect how much more can God prove to us that he wants us to live a greater vision life he's saying listen even while you were all that I still died for you I proved my love for you back there just do it just trust me just don't be deceived. Don't be troubled. Don't have doubt. Don't be fooled. Trust me. It all starts with trusting him. Now from here, in John 14, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that uh, like in my father's house there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that you can be where I am, right? And then uh, Thomas says, Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way, right? He asks a very simple, obvious question. God, if we don't know where you're going, how can we get there? And then Jesus responds, I believe this is on the screen, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a direct answer to Thomas's question. Go, we don't know where you're going. How do we know which way to go? And he goes, I am the way, right? This is a great passage of scripture. And then he says this really interesting thing in verse seven. If you really knew me, you would know the father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now this is, this is paramount in his ministry. Because what happens next is Philip asks the one question that everybody else is thinking. Everybody's sitting around listening to Jesus. He says, if you really knew me, you know the Father. As a matter of fact, you have and you've seen him. And Philip says finally, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Like, just show us him. Like, I don't know how it could happen. Rip the roof off. Let him speak down and thunder. I don't know if like a hologram shows up in the corner. I don't know how this happens, but just show us the Father. And that'll be enough. And what he's really saying is, hey, Jesus, prove it. Prove it. See, we say it like this. Prove to me that you love me. God, prove to me that you have a plan for me. Or, or worse, we say, God, give me this and I'll know that you love me or give me this and I'll know this is what you want me to do next we bargain and we ask God to prove himself and then Jesus gives this answer and I'm just we'll just be real straight out this is a hard one okay 
John 14, 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time. Don't you know me? We'll keep reading that in just a second, because there's the second half of this verse. That, let that sink in just for a second. All those moments where we've asked God to prove himself, like we can, we can demand a show from the creator of the universe, that we can somehow pull some marionette strings and make him do something in our life or perform something for us, for our benefit. And Jesus looks at us and goes, don't you, don't you even know me? Even after I've been with you for such a long time. One commentary I read said this. In his words, there's a tone of sadness and of warning. They utter the loneliness of a holiness and greatness which is not understood. Jesus in that moment just thought, they still don't even get it. And I've been with these guys for three years. Day in and day out. Philip, who, who is one of the very first disciples that was called, he was kind of a, he wasn't, you know, when we think about the, the 12 and we think about the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, he wasn't mentioned in that, but he was still kind of a leader of the disciples. He was kind of a, 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 kind of a patriarch of the disciples. And, and, and Philip says, show us God. Just prove yourself and we'll do whatever. We'll do whatever you want us to do. Just pro- prove us that you are who you say You are. And Jesus answers him and says, Don't you you even know me? Church, to to move into this greater vision for 2020, we have to trust him. And number two, we have to know him. Not just know about him. Not just know all the right church answers. But we have to know him. Him. Some, listen, some of you have been saved for a long time and you don't know him any better than you did the day you got saved. Because we, we have just enough Jesus, right? We have just enough uh, understanding of forgiveness. We, we like to believe that no matter what I do, or if, as long as I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do and I'm, I'm good, I'm fine. I can live like hell now and still get heaven later. And can I just ask a question? Where in the Bible does it say that? Where where does it say? It doesn't. It does not say walk an aisle, pray a prayer, get baptized, and live however you want to because you're good. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus taught. And some of you go, well, really? Well, I thought that's what he said. Well, then you need to read. Remember our New Year's resolution number two? Read. Read the Bible. Because that's not what it says. What does Jesus say over and over every time he comes to a a deeper understanding with a person and and somebody he's trying to cultivate a, a, a strong and deep relationship with? Jesus said two words every time. Follow me. Follow me. You want to have this life? You want to attain some sort of True forgiveness and intimacy with the Creator, follow me. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us pretty implicitly in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Why would he say, take up your cross? Because when Jesus took up his cross, he was going to die. 
And if we really want to be his disciples, then we die to ourselves every single day. Every single instance is not my wants, but his wants. It's not my will, but it's his will. It's not my decision, it's his decision. It's not my direction, it's his direction. I'm doing everything that I can do. I'm taking up my cross and I'm following him. But we can't follow him if we don't know him. And we can't know him with this surface level, grade school faith. It requires us to put effort. It requires us to know his wants and his desires and his plan and his purpose. And he asked Philip, don't, don't you know me? And church, I'm going to ask you the same question today. Don't you know him? Not, do you know about him? Do you not know the stories of him? Do you not know all the right answers of him? But do you not know him? If you don't get anything from this morning, get these two points. Very simple this morning. We have to trust him. and We have to know him. And listen, listen, this know him part is the greatest thing because we have everything at our disposal to know him. Number one, we have the Bible, okay? Right, we have this incredible book that is bound and that we have, and it's probably most of us own one. If you don't own a Bible, then you let me know, and we as a church will buy you a Bible. That's how important it is for you to have the Word of God in your hands and read it. You have everything that God wants for us laid out for us in Scripture, and yet most of the time we just don't read it. Or we get to read it and we go, oh man, that's hard. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't really understand that. And we just put it up. You have everything you need in the Bible. The second thing that you have that you need is the Spirit. The Bible says that if you are saved, if you have come to faith in Christ, and the Spirit of God lives in you, He is your comforter, He is your provider, He is your God, He is, your, uh, he is the one who convicts us of sin, He is the one who pushes us into a deeper relationship, He is the one who, who takes Scripture and makes us understand it. That's incredible. We don't even have time to get into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because it is so incredible. But he allows us to understand scripture and to apply it and to, and to see the bigger picture, to have a bigger vision through just reading words on a page. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says is if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You've got the Bible and you've got the Holy Spirit. Really, that's all you need. But on top of all that, if, if that's not enough, you have all things IBC. And I'm, what I mean by that is that, that you have everything from uh, the different opportunities that we have to, to let your family and you personally know him better. We have children's and student ministries to adult Bible studies. We have small groups on Sunday morning and life groups on Sunday evening. We have men's and women's Bible studies. We have prayer services. And, and if you don't know this, then almost every one of our messages here on Sunday morning are either online or on a podcast. You have every access to know him better. But too often we choose just to let it be what it is and just kind of slide through the years. Listen, we have this family of believers that we've already all established are not perfect people, right? But people who would love to, to walk through life with you, to, to talk things on a deeper level. That's what we do in our life groups. Once a month on Sunday nights, we have life groups and we, and we meet at people's house and we share a meal, we talk and we eat and, and we just talk about what's going on in our real life. We have like a quick 10 or 15 minute, real hard 
not really hard, pretty light Bible study. But the majority of that time is spent of me getting to know Dennis and, and Dennis getting to know Michael and Michael getting to know Greg and, and women who are sharing and laughing and we got to call them down. Would y'all shut up so we can read Bible, right? And we get, because we, we're just doing life together because that's what the church did in Acts chapter 2. They did life together. You have a family of people here. And you may not like everybody in this room. That's okay. You may not like me sometimes. That's okay too, I guess. But we are here for each other so that we can know him better. Listen, I am, I am so proud of this church. When I think about that I get the privilege of being the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I just go, God, I'm not, I, I, can't, I can't even begin to fathom that. That's, 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 that's humbling and that's incredible. That's, but it's not about Emmanuel Baptist Church. As much as I brag on you, as much as I tell other pastors and people around the state, and people know. Listen, people know. I went up to Rogers for uh, the whole past year. I met with a group of pastors up there, and I said, I'm from Warren. And they were like, Warren, man, that's football country down there. I was like, yeah, I know. And they said, you're from Emmanuel, aren't you? They know our church. They know what God is doing in this area. And, man, I'm so proud to say this is our church home and this is our church family and this is not about us and our namesake. It's about knowing him more. If you want to have a greater vision for this next year, if you want to be able to move from what it is to what it could be, then you trust him and you know him. Let's finish this thought. I'm running out of time. Oh, goodness. Okay, here we go. I told you it was a long one. I tried to split it up. I didn't do a very good job. Uh, verse uh, 8, Philip says, show us the Father. Verse 9, uh, Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been here for such a long time? He says this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his Work. I love this. This is a great way to end. So, uh, because this this pushes us into greater vision, it pushes us to look beyond the simple. Right? We're going to see what Jesus is really doing here. Philip says, "Show us the Father," and Jesus says, "You've seen the Father, because you've seen me. You 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 want to know what God wants for your life? Live like Jesus lived. You want to you you want to have this example of what to do next? What?" It's so cliche. When I talk about 1990, right? That's what would Jesus do, right? It, how would he live? How would he react? How would he love? How would he serve? How would he humble himself? How would he give all that he could so that somebody else could have an incredible knowledge of the, of the gospel? Jesus is our ultimate example. He says, you, you want to know the Father? Just look at me. You've seen the Father because you've seen me. We're going to look over the coming year at greater forgiveness and greater love and greater restoration. We're going to look at the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And we're going to use him as our example of how to act and how to love and how to forgive and how to serve. And Jesus is saying very plainly at the end of this passage of Scripture, you want to know what God wants? Follow my lead. Because it all starts with him. It all starts with trusting him and knowing him. You want to know what God wants for you this next year? Follow his lead. 
Follow, do what Jesus did. So this is my last thought, and I'm done, and we're out of time, and that's okay. I'm going to ask you two very simple questions, and they're on the screen. Do you trust him, and do you know him? Do you know him on a level of maybe you've heard about him, or maybe you're struggling through your understanding of do you really know that you're saved? Maybe you've been this thread of doubt or your heart being troubled really resonates and you, and you just struggle with the thought of, do I really know him? Well, if the answer is no, or I hope so, then can I just say today is the day that you can lock that down, that you can know that you know that you know that you can leave this building this morning knowing that above all things you know that when it all comes down to it, that you are his. Why would we not, why would we not want to Leave that burden of uncertainty and just know that we know that we know. And the second is, is if you do know him, do you really trust him? Do you trust him this year with your family, with your finances, with your, your marriage, with your job, with your future, with that whatever that big decision that's on the horizon that you know is coming and you've got to just figure it out? Maybe it's a strained relationship or it's a, maybe it's a family relationship or maybe it's, just, maybe it's just the what am I supposed to be doing conversation. Do you trust him? That you, maybe you feel like God's, man, God's really been trying to tell me and I've not been listening and, and maybe I'm supposed to be doing this, but I, I've had all these reservations that I just don't know that I can or I don't know that I'm good enough or I don't know that I should. You just need to trust him. Step out on faith. Do what he's calling you to do. Do you know him? And do you trust him? It starts here. Can't vision for the future if we don't have these two things. I'm going to ask if you stand with me and bow your head. TJ's going to come and sing. And we're going to have a moment of invitation. And this is not going to take long, but this is a moment for you to make sure that you know and make sure that you trust. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't pass up this chance to lock in knowledge, to lock in trust, and to start this 2020 with a greater vision than you've ever had before. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for everything that you do for us and everything that you are doing through us. And this morning, God, as we begin to lay the groundwork for this focus for the year, God, it all starts with this. There's somebody here this morning that has been struggling with doubt that doesn't know that they know, God, I pray this morning they can know. They don't leave this morning without grabbing someone, talking to Dustin or to myself, and making sure that they know. And Father, for the majority of the people in the room who do know, maybe, God, we haven't been living in that trust. God, we are yours. Our lives and every aspect of it is yours. And God, we trust you and what you have next for us. We ask, Father, that you'd let us take one step at a time in faithful obedience to you. Father, this is your moment. If we need to come and we need to pray at the altar, then God, I pray that we do that. If we need to just sit down and pray where we are, if we need to grab somebody and just pray with somebody sitting next to us, God, I pray that they would do that. 
Let's not miss this chance. God, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know, God, let them come ask questions. God, this is your time and in your moments. In Jesus' name that we pray. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.